For the first time, and hopefully not the last time, I'm coming to you live from a place other than my office in St. Louis. And since relaunching my show, I'm coming to you live with not only just a good friend, but someone who I would say is responsible, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, for giving me the inclination to believe that I could build a brand, that I could talk about current events and politics, and that I could just be an unadulterated, absolute savage about it. <laughs> I'm sitting here with the one and only Bobby Sausalito, and it's great to have you here. My pleasure. More so you're having me here because you had me in your hotel room last night. That's okay. <laughs> Sauce. To start? Sauce. Make it creepy? Make it weird? I mean, dude, I'm not here to make it normal. Definitely not. Great. <laughs> I mean, we've had a good time so far. Two Italian guys just bumming around Chicago the last bumming 24 around. hours. Yeah. So, you know, more than anything else, because some of my listeners may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, give, uh, give everyone a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what you do. was an internet entrepreneur for a decade and a half. Started making comedy videos because I... Didn't want to die without my creativity being emblazoned into the record of history. Started making political videos in um, the fall of 2020 as the election was ramping up because I cared a lot about politics. Had a video go viral. Decided to start making political comedy content every day to see how much I could grow. Now, my um, I still maintain my internet business and I make political comedy videos on all the social media platforms. And I talk about current events, economy, business, politics, and trying to help people change how they think without telling them what to think so that we can have a better world and contributing in my own little way on the business side, the politics side, and then keeping it funny. Started doing some stand-up comedy, some public speaking, and now I'm just enjoying it and trying to make an impact in whatever way I can. I love and appreciate that very, very much because... I think most people have woken up recently to how just awful and deceitful mainstream media is, the legacy media, those you know five to six big conglomerates that own everything. And what we've seen, the thing that you did that inspired me so much is you added just a sense of humor to it without actually being like very partisan. What, what I really appreciate about what you just said is you try to teach people how to think without teaching them what to think. And when you think about like where politics started for you, when did you really start paying attention to things? In 2006 or 2007, um, a buddy of mine and I were hanging out, smoking some devil's lettuce, just jamming. And um, they had uh, him and him and our other group of friends had gone to, I believe it was Philadelphia um, the evening before. And there were some guys handing out DVDs on the street. And they were like, yeah, we took his DVD from these guys. They were talking about 9-11 and... We were like, well, let's just watch it. Let's like twist one up and we'll watch this DVD. And the DVD was Loose Change. Mm-hmm. It's called Loose Change, the 9-11 documentary by Luke Rakowski. And it basically talked about every possible conspiracy theory intertwined with why 9-11 happened. And it was like, I had never even thought about that stuff. I had never thought about politics before that point. I never, I always just seemed like it was out of reach. There's nothing we could do about it. You know, everyone's kind of taught from a young age to not talk about it. So we watched it. We're like, wait a second. Pause. Wikipedia. Look it up. Oh, Rothschild. Oh, this guy. Oh, there's, you know, there was asbestos in the building. Like, this is wild. Oh, let's look at the clips of them saying there's bombs in the building and all this other stuff. And, um, and then it's like, wait, could every possible thing we've ever been taught be a lie? It's kind of like, it's 
it's kind of like the first time you take mushrooms. It's like <laughs> you just start to realize that reality is not what it seems. So watching that, it's like a, it's like a complete, it's like unlocking a new level in the video game of life. So I was like, holy shit, there's another element to this. Um, so after that, it's like now once you open the, once you like take the, take the red pill, you break out of the matrix and then you're like, wait, you, you start going deep into every conspiracy theory. You make your you make yourself to Alex Jones. You make yourself to, um, you know, movies like Esoteric Agenda and Zeitgeist and all these other things. And then you start thinking about things like, you know, like quantum physics and all of the kind of pieces of like your spiritual understanding of reality and then politics, money, economy. It all like comes to this one thing where you kind of see the totality of reality all focused because it's like you believe in the you know, there's the spiritual side of life. There's the money side of life. There's the, you know, the unknown. And then there's like, what are all these things that have been happening while I haven't been paying attention? There's your economy, your business, your politics. So I just finally saw it all being intertwined. And that was how I became interested in it. And then I was like, wait a second, these people control us. Wait a second, they're killing us. Wait a second, they're corrupt. Wait a second. We're slaves. I don't, don't want to be 50 years old and look back and say, oh, well, sorry, next generation. Like there was nothing we could do about it. It's out of our hands. So I just figured if it was something that I could care about at a young age in my twenties, if I spent my life figuring it out, cracking the code, maybe I could help turn it the other way in some way, shape or form. It's like, I always kind of had that belief. So that was why I got interested to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, that was the beginning. And so you were born and raised up in the Northeast, Connecticut, yeah. Connecticut which is indelibly blue, super leftist, Really good tax policy, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, Connecticut itself is is a is a democratic state, yes. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of it's kind of perplexing, but it is because mm -hmm. it's like in between New York and Boston, and that whole area is pretty much blue. Yeah, but it's but I never really felt that way growing up. Like I grew up in a small town, so there was never any like craziness where it's like these dang politicians. It was just like, Oh, property tax is expensive, but I didn't know the difference. All I knew is that I went to good schools, like good public schools, yeah. which was like a kind of like a selling point of Connecticut, I think for my parents and they, <laughs> my, my dad was from there originally, but it's like, you can go to a great public school and have a great childhood and be safe. And so that, so politics didn't really play in <laughs> or I certainly wasn't aware of them as a kid. Sure. And now I, I say that is kind of a balancing act of where you are now. You live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I, I think Florida is ran better than any other state in the United States. I think a lot of people who would subscribe to kind of our political opinions, which we're not necessarily hard right type people, at least in my case, I see myself as more of a libertarian than anything. Yes. When, when you think about how younger you would look at the you you are now, I know at least in my perspective, growing up, I was raised in a very like working class, like leftist household. Like my dad was a Democrat and throughout my entire childhood, which was the Bush administration, just everything was Bush's fault and there was never any upside and it was doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. When you think about how you were raised in a state like Connecticut versus the adults you are in now, you know, you, you are full blown business taxpaying adult and you live in such a radically different state ideologically does that surprise you at all do you think like the kid you were would have been like oh so that's how i'm going to grow up or did you always kind of have some of these inclinations to be like maybe the way these people act isn't for me no i i mean there's like a saying where it's like if you're not a if you're not a i think it's like if you're not a i 
forget, I don't want to butcher the statement, but it's something like if you're not a Democrat until you're 25, you have no, you have no, uh, no heart. Mm -hmm. If you're not a Republican or if you're not a Republican by the time you're 30, you have no brain or something like that. Um, so I grew up thinking that the democratic way was the way like, you know, and the first presidential, like I said, I never really thought about politics. And then when I was 18, it's like, Oh, politics, I'm going to vote. Now I can vote. So it's like, all right, I'll start to pay attention. And I remember seeing this YouTube video from Obama and it was like, there's no left, there's no left America. There's or no red America, no blue America. There's the United <laughs> States of America. And it was like an inspiring tale. Mm -hmm. And like, I got bamboozled by marketing. You know, it's like, I'm a young guy. I was, I was like, yeah, yeah. Unity, black president. It's, this is the time. Like this guy's well-spoken. This is a, this seems like a guy that could unify us. It was all about unity. I'm like, this seems good. Right. And you know, I was sold the marketing message and it's like, Oh, free college, free everything. Everybody gets a check. And it just, it sounds good. Mm -hmm. But like most things that you realize later in life is like, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. And you know, that's how they trick you is that they market you. And if you're a sucker for good marketing, like I am, like most people are, it's like, you can be marketed out of even choosing Again, you can mark, you can be marketed in a way that makes you choose against your own interests. Yeah. So I was like, this is, I was like, I feel good historically voting for him, knowing that this will unify the country and that this will bring us all this prosperity. And like, I bought a hook, line and sinker because I didn't know any better. So I cast my vote for Obama thinking this is like the outsider, you know, this is a Senator community organizer, whatever. And like, I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you watch TV Mm -hmm. And they're like, I forget who who's he running against? John McCain? He ran against McCain in 08 and then uh shit Romney. So he was running 12. against John McCain and it was like John McCain's an old, you know, an old uh politician and he, you know, I know he fought in the war, but he really is a dirtbag for all these reasons. And like mm -hmm. I didn't like his entanglements in foreign affairs. Like I saw some stuff that I didn't like, and it's like to me, it was enough watching like mainstream TV where you're like, this is not biased, it's just Everyone just agrees Obama's better. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I thought. So, um, anyways, to answer the question, I, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I never really thought about it. I didn't think about where I would sit politically. It was not something that I that crossed my mind. I just was like, I thought Democratic was the right way. I thought that everybody older than me didn't get it. You know, it's like when I started building websites when I was 18, it was like a mental shift because I would go and I would build a website for a person that was. 45 or 50 years old that ran a successful business and had every objective vision of success. They had a big house and a nice car and a business employees and they couldn't figure out this website thing. So I was like, maybe I'm just smarter than everybody. Maybe I just figured it out. I'm the new generation. I, I know better. So uh, if I know better about how to build a website, maybe I know better about everything else too, politics included. So I was like, Oh, Democrat is the way to go. And then you start paying money and taxes, you start making a real income. And then you're like, what? You're like I'm paying so much for the, why? Like, imagine if they take this much from me and I'm only making $50,000 a year or whatever. It's like, how much, what if I was making 200,000 or 300? Look how much money they'd be making for me. And then think there's, there's a hundred people on my street. There's 10,000 people in my, in my, you know, in my town, there's 150,000 people just within 10 miles around me. It's like, wait a second, multiply this times all these people. Where is it going? Why is there a pothole here? Why are we doing all these bad things? Why is the, why are the banks failing? Mm -hmm. um, and you start to realize that it's kind of like a sham. And then I think you start to make that shift where you're like, wait, what they're saying sounds good, but in application, it doesn't actually go that way. They're just lying. Yeah. And they, 
And then when you look at, especially the Obama administration, he was a darling of the media and almost all media tinges left if it's mainstream. And I, I wondered because the first time I could vote when I was a legal adult was in the 2012 election. And I actually cast my vote for Barack Obama. And it was one of those things that as I look back in retrospect, I don't necessarily feel guilt or shame about it. I do feel like I was sold something that I could never cash in on. But the thing that really rings true that you went over a second ago was like, yes, we can. There are no white Americans. There are no black Americans. They're just American Americans. Well, when you see the campaign of 2012, when he's running against Mitt Romney, who was an absolute just milk toast wet blanket of a character i no matter how much more conservative i become in my my senior years like i still don't like or trust the guy but it was really around that election ben shapiro calls it like the most important election of his lifetime because that's really when the intersectional hierarchy started getting introduced to like a younger age where it was like well it's not just because my policies were garbage and i didn't keep my promises it's more because that republicans are racist and that america's systemically racist the question i think i have for you is was that his agenda all along, or was he really just that jaded and pissed off that they didn't essentially accept any of his policies and they kept throwing forks in the road on him? Was was Obama always this divisive figure, or was he someone who actually wanted what was best for America during his first term and before he was president? Let me put it like this. AOC, to me, is... A person that, you know, is a bartender, was a bartender, good for her for stepping up to the plate, but she's not stupid. And I think that deep down, she probably does know that what she's doing is bad, but she believes enough that the ends justify the means that she doesn't care what happens between point A and point B. I think Obama is probably similar. Like the guy's obviously not a slouch. Like he's obviously a hyper intelligent guy. Um, I think that they believe that they believe in like that the way that people say it will go, that the government can, that someone can pull a lever and then a reaction will happen as a result. I think they believe that. And I think that they don't care about the collateral damage because they believe the ends justify the means, which is kind of like, in a lot of ways, the story of America. It's like the John Wayne uh, of America. You know, it doesn't matter if I kind of break the law as long as I get the bad guy at the end. It doesn't matter who I have to, it doesn't matter the collateral damage as long as I, as long as I achieve the ends. So I think that they... They have the best intentions, but they also know that what they're doing probably is bad or will be bad, but they believe that maybe what other people have sold them and the combination of it all is the, you know, the counter has to be so far uh, to the other side that that's the only way of getting there. Mm -hmm. It's like business is corrupt no matter what. Therefore, government, which is also corrupt, well, it's better that our corrupt people are better than their corrupt people. Mm-hmm. So they, I think that they have the best intentions, sort of, but they also know that what will happen as a result is bad. And I think that, you know, we're kind of taught that there's a, there's a good guy and a bad guy. But in reality, there's, it's really not that. It's not like this country's at war with this country and it's black and white. Here's the aggressor. Here's the, it's really not, it's more gray now. So I think that 
the two sides are at war being funded by the same person. Right. I just think that Obama's the the demons that Obama wants to run are different than the demons that maybe whoever we want to run it. We just think that our demons are not going to be as demony as their demons, even though there's lots of bad actors in there. You know, it's like nothing's going to be perfect. It's like even the most even the best person you know has a skeleton in the closet of some kind, probably not that it's an evil one, but it's, we've all, we all have something mm-hmm. that no one is perfect. So I just think that Democrats believe that, that the, that the bureaucratic, the bureaucratic corruption is better than the private sector corruption. And they think that the only way to fight that is to, well, we want our corrupt guys in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but do they, do they believe that that's the best for America? I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to tell. When when you can when you become enriched by it, it certainly adds a it certainly adds another level to it that I think needs to be considered. You know, Barack Obama didn't have any money and now he has multi-million dollar state beachfront property in yeah, Martha's, Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard. So even though it's going to be underwater in a couple of years, right? Yeah, 10 years ago. <laughs> but that's the thing that makes you wonder, so it's like do they did they know that it would give them fortune? Yes. So I don't know. I would say if I had to guess, I would say 20% of his operation is believing that it's the right of the country. 80% or, you know, 60% of it is knowing that he's going to get rich. And the last 20% is, you know, allowing, thinking his demons are better than the other demons or whatever. But at the end of the day, they're all still uprooted from hell. So who the, who the hell really cares? You know, it's like, it's the same sulfur pit that they're all crawling out of. That's trying to damn your eternal soul. Like it's a, it's a, this is the thing is that the bureaucratic the bureaucracy is less held accountable than the private sector is. There's corruption everywhere. But the bureaucracy they are anointed. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the private sector they're not quite as anointed. You can destroy a business or a person mm-hmm. based on them doing bad things. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the bureaucracy it really doesn't matter what <laughs> you do. So they're anointed like a like a king and they're given outsized power, not based on their accomplishments or credentials, but based on their willingness to follow whomever anoints them and the things that they do. So it, it, if, if you want to say both sides are corrupt, well, one is corrupt, but is at the very least held accountable to some private sector or the people in general, Mm -hmm. whereas the other side is nothing more than, being held accountable than the person that's willing to anoint them. Mm-hmm. So as long as they bootleg whoever that person is, then their path up is is a is a foregone conclusion. Whereas on the other side, if you were to say the rich heir of some throne, uh, you know, multi generational wealth doesn't usually stick for More families two or three, right? So there's a guy that screws it up or blows the money or whatever. So whereas with the bureaucracy. It could go on forever no matter what they do, especially now that they are in control of all these halls of power. And the people that are running them and anointing them have spun up such a narrative that they probably believe even if I do bad things, well, Trump is worse or whoever is worse. And it's always it's the endless battle of the lesser of two evils. And here we are subjected at the intersection of big government and big money. And it's like, well, we're sell this idea of constitutional republic of capitalism, but taking a note from Zeitgeist, which came out when I was fourteen, I'm pretty sure in two thousand seven. That movie like blew my mind. Now, there's some things about it, and I'm like, 
Yeah, the end is a little zany. Yeah, but now the they're, they're talking about the RFID chip, but, but now, you know, a whole bunch of people the last couple of years got a whole lot of injections, you know, it's like eh, a little bit of the conspiracy bug starts to bite you. But the big thing that they talked about in that movie that stuck with me is the idea of corporatism and what you look at, like with <clears throat> George Soros, Klaus Schwab, stakeholder capitalism. To me, that's that part of the pie that when you talk about the people who are anointed, the idea of corporatism, the idea that it's really not the people who vote who have the power anymore. It's the people who make decisions who actually have the power. We're just here in a hamster wheel of like, well, no, keep paying your taxes, keep following the laws. They're going to get increasingly more bitter towards you and your disposition. I guess to me, it wasn't even just seeing that sight, seeing that scene in Zeitgeist, but it was really in the election of 2015, 2016. I'll, and I'll admit this, the two things from my youth that I look back on and I just kind of facepalm are the fact that, yes, I voted in the only election I could vote in before I caught my felony was for Barack Obama. And it was during the most divisive period of his presidency, which was 12 to 16. But the thing that really made me give up on kind of like the leftist superpower and made me like grow up really quickly was the fact that me as a stupid college kid, which I can own that up to, the thing that was all the rage was not Hillary, it was Trump, but it was also Bernie. Bernie, who is this lifelong democratic socialist, yet he's written how many books, he owns how many houses, he has profited off of capitalism from a position of such lunacy as opposed to just about anyone else in office because he sits there and he condemns capitalism, but he is one of the biggest purveyors of it. The thing that like really opened my eyes to how corrupt these people are who take all these virtuous positions was the fact that the dnc did him in so that hillary could become the nominee they fired debbie wasserman schultz and do you know who hired debbie wasserman schultz right after she was fired from the dnc hillary clinton to me i started really believing that it's all just a game you know they say the world's just a stage and we are merely players when you think about like the presidency of Barack Obama and what a pivotal time in our history it was in 2015, 2016. Do you think that Donald Trump specifically would have risen to the prominence in politics they did if we didn't have Obama as a president? Or do you think that we really needed the pendulum to swing as far left as it did during the second term of its presidency for that to be such a possibility? Well, uh, these are complicated questions without without short answers. So make them as long as you got to make them. No, I know. I I, th- I think that if it hadn't gotten as bad as it did, I don't know that a Donald Trump would have felt compelled to run. So in that sense, perhaps not. But it's kind of like there's that old. Um, forget what it is writing or whatever it's called the man in the arena mm-hmm. basically the idea is you know it's not the critic who counts the person that the person that doesn't want to run is the person that should sometimes and it's the person that doesn't want to be a politician that doesn't want to be a celebrity that could probably do the best job and i would imagine that you know trump likely got frustrated seeing how bad it was getting and I think his decision to run was of the purest of intent. And I think that's why it was so inspiring to see and so great to see. Um, would he have felt that way without somebody like Obama remains to be seen? Maybe not. 
maybe there would have been someone else that would have stepped up and it wouldn't have seemed like that was the best and highest use of his time and effort. He certainly could have lived a more comfortable life otherwise. Um, but it's, it's probably highly likely that we will continue to realize as we go through life that, you know, having the, having a hundred million dollars or $10 million or whatever it is and having a house and a whatever, all the things that you want is likely is likely not as fulfilling as it may seem to people that don't have that now. And really it's the great purpose that is the thing. And for someone like Trump that objectively conquered all challenges to be conquered, um, it's like the greatest test of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, could you run the world? Mm-hmm. So a person like that with a personality such as his, it makes sense to me why he would do that. And I do believe that it was probably out of the greatest amount of um, altruism and care about the country. I think at first that's, that really is what it is. But I think that that's the same thing you and I were talking about yesterday where it's like, why do you, why do you make political content knowing that you're going to take slings and arrows for it? Because you believe that that's more purposeful and more challenging than not doing it. Cause you could just as easily not. And then what, what's your life goal? Make money and be comfortable. Sure. But is that purpose driven when you die? Are you going to say, Hey, good thing I, made all that money. Maybe, maybe you would. And there's nothing wrong with that because there's more to it than that. Obviously you helped people, you employed people, you created a, whatever you helped your town, your family, whatever. But for people that believe that they could play at that level, it's almost like if you were, a, you know, it's almost like if you were born seven foot three mm-hmm. and you liked basketball, but you knew it would be challenging to, to play in the NBA. If, but if you worked hard, you could do it, but you just chose not to. And you were like, I'm just going to be a, guy that gets cats out of trees and I'm just going to make money getting all the cats out of the trees or whatever. Some, that's a stupid example, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like you have the capacity to do it, but you choose not to because it's like that's, that would be difficult. You forego the effort to sit there and have a safe, just comfortable existence. If you believe that you could do something great and you choose not to do it, I think the mental strain that you probably feel as a result of that is, is probably far greater than the mental strain that you get by participating in it and dealing with the challenges of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if I, if I was sitting on the sidelines through all this political stuff, watching it, I would be so frustrated. But now the fact that I can vent it and actually change people's mind, that to me is actually more relieving than I felt before. That was the, that's the whole thing about my story is that I was frustrated by it and no one around me was willing to listen to what I would had to say about it. I'm like, how does nobody care about this? Mm-hmm. So you feel very alone in your thoughts. You feel very alone in the, in your belief that there's something bad happening here. And I used the internet as the vent. Where I was like, if no one's going to listen to this, I'm just going to yell it into my phone. And at least it's there. That's why I found you. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like, at least it's, it's in the, it's out in the, in the, you know, in the, in the area, in the zone and um, in the zeitgeist that this is a belief and if people like it, then great, but it, it gets it off my chest where I'm not just sitting here stewing with it and waiting for somebody to say the wrong, say a political word, maybe like, dude, do you, do you know about quantum physics and do you know about the, the Rothschilds or do you know about all this stuff? So it, it was a venting. Gay frogs. Right. And then, so it, it becomes, a, it becomes the solution just like on its own. And, and then, and then once you realize that you can make any impact there, you're, you wonder how much impact could I actually have? Yeah. Like what, how great could I get it? Mm-hmm. How far could it go? How many people's lives could I touch for the right reasons? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think in a lot of ways, 
you know, here's the, this is the other thing is when you see a person doing things and you can read the context of why they're doing them without them even saying it, but you just get it, the level of respect you have for them goes skyrocket and they may never know that you had it, but just the fact that people are out there thinking, I remember when Trump ran in 2016, I was like, yo, this guy is objectively taking a huge risk. He doesn't have to take that. He doesn't have to take. And, and, and all objective measures, all context clues indicate this is bad for his brand, bad for his business, bad for his money, a lot of work, certainly a lot of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you do that? You would only do it because you believed that it was a more important than what you would have had in comfort. And that gave me a tremendous amount of respect for him in 2016, where, you know, whenever you see anybody doing something like that, they don't have to say it. They may never know that you feel that way, but the respect level you have for them skyrockets. And I remember thinking that about Trump and thinking about that a lot of, about a lot of other figures that talk about this type of stuff. And I, and I want that for myself because I know someone sees it and someone says, yo, this guy really cares. And to me, that is part of the part of it all. And I, again, relishing in my own naivete, when I would hear Bernie speak, and just how the media mostly pampered him. Some, obviously, right-wing media did not give him a lick. I thought when I heard him speak, it was like hearing Obama speak. I thought the dude spoke with authenticity and like he really cared. But the thing about authenticity is it's not always politically correct. Here's Donald Trump, this guy who's crude, bombastic, can be mean-spirited and a little bit childish, like a bratty seventh grader who's just going to fucking pick at you. Um, But that's authentic. It's who he is. And you know, running against Hillary Clinton, of all people, who is the fakest person. I mean, everyone knows she's a literal demon. Everyone knows she's an actual literal demon. When we look at the... <laughs> I'm going to deny this. <laughs> might burst into flames, might not. When we think about like what our country looks like right now, a lot of people joke and say that we've been going through the third term of Obama, which kind of makes sense. If Trump didn't win in 2016 and Hillary became our president, how different do you think the country would look like right now? Well, it certainly would be a lot worse. I think that the, I don't know, these are all, these are all very subjective questions. I, I think that it's actually kind of interesting if you, if you think about what happened under Trump, it kind of makes you wonder, could that have happened under Hillary? Mm-hmm. Would we have allowed that to happen under Hillary? Would we have behaved the same? That's what I kind of wonder. You know, If Hillary had said, you need to stay home and close your business, would everybody have actually done that? Considering how much we hated her? makes you wonder mm-hmm. could they have made that actually happen or because the fact that we liked trusted donnie that make it easier for them to do that absolutely so i don't know it, it's hard to it's hard to say how it would have been but it certainly would be worse and and if the thing about democratic policies is that Generally speaking, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And the things that they say 
require depth of knowledge to understand why they are in fact bad. Mm-hmm. And printing that, endless amounts of money sounds real good on paper until you realize the dollar of your the value of your dollar has been thrown into the trash can. Right, because they don't understand. Because people don't people don't understand the part two. There's a there's a way that Ben Shapiro explains it, and it it's like basically like the surface level. It's like the surface level policy politics. Mm-hmm. Like the most recent one is the negotiate Medicare or negotiate drug prices. They're like, oh, the federal government is going to negotiate these ten drug prices, and you say. Well, that sounds good because it's going to lower costs for a family, right? But, but it actually will stifle innovation for those products. So, you know, them negotiating those prices down won't really affect us very much. Medicare may pay less, but now if Medicare pays less, that means the profitability of those drugs are down, which means that all the investment in new drugs, when you know that your profit margin is capped, means that it won't be there. <laughs> and we are subsidizing the drugs of the rest of the world by us paying more for them and them paying less. So there's plenty of other levers that could have moved to change that game and keep the innovation up. But the top message is we're negotiating drug prices down and everyone thinks that that's good. But if you don't have the depth of understanding and knowledge to understand why it's bad, that message goes around the world. We're helping you save money on drugs. And most people don't look beneath the surface of what that really means or what will happen as a result. They don't even care. Mm -hmm. They don't even know to care. Mm-hmm. So they buy that line and they're like, Democrats are doing a good job. But they know what they're doing is wrong. They know that it's bad. They just want to sell you the lie because they're demons. So to me, like nothing is more emblematic of of, of bureaucratic rule and and you know and and ruling by and and running the world by decree mm-hmm. than that. Here's a perfect example. It's going to bring these medical prices down, but as a result, instead of there being twenty new drugs a year, there might be fourteen. You know, if there's not enough profit margin for them to make this drug, so now you're the person that has that ailment that would have purchased that drug. Well, now it doesn't exist, so now you maybe die, <laughs> so or whatever, or you you suffer as a result. Mm-hmm. But nobody thinks about that because they're like Biden's negotiating drug prices, <laughs> and that's why that's why young people are so easily persuaded by Democrats. That's why kids in high school and college are so easily persuaded because they don't know mm-hmm. that it's a snake oil salesman selling you because you have to get burnt a couple times before you realize who's a snake. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, everybody sounds good. So you're like, this is a better message. Yeah. But you don't realize that on the flip of it, it's like, it's like buying a cheaper, it's like buying a cheaper car. Yeah. Like, oh, this car's cheaper. <laughs> Looks like a car, feels like a car, drives like a car. It's a car. It's cheaper. Why is it cheaper? I don't know. Everybody's stupid. I bought this car. It's cheap. And then it breaks down. And then the repairs end up costing more than if you had just bought the right thing from the start. But you have to have that happen to you in order to understand. So then the next go around, you're like, well, don't sell me a cheaper car. I'm not going to do that. I'm not stupid. So that's what all these young kids I feel like need to see. Because mm-hmm. it's not that we're smarter than them. Right. It's just that. We have experience. They're being, they're being emotionally manipulated. Absolutely. They're like, oh, you don't like this, then you're a racist or you're a sexist or you're mean or you don't have a heart. It's like, no, I have all those things. I just think you're wrong. And you're using that as a club to beat me over the head with mm-hmm. to accept things that are against my own interests. 
and one of the things that I think it was when I was talking to Dom Izzo on his show, and, and I gave the left credit for this, which it's it's a horrible credit to give, but it's it's me being objectively honest. He he asked, "What is the biggest problem facing common sense politics these days?" And I said, "It's the fact that we can't organize." You know what? You know why the left is really good at getting people to organize? They use surface level issues. They get people excited and they use enthusiasm. Yes, we can. We're going to have free college. You know, if you serve your country, you can go to college for free. (laughs) That's my Kamala impression. It needs work. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, is you get all these outsiders who have all these idealistic visions of what the future should be. And what's even worse than that is that when you look at the big industries that the left puts their hand into, of course you think that free college can be a thing in a democratically socialist environment. Because why? Not just because Bernie's saying it, because they get a guy like Robert Reich to back it. Sure, he's an economist, and I think he worked for, what, MIT, maybe? I don't know, but he he was a uh, he was he worked for uh, Clinton. He was like Clinton's, whatever. You, you, he was in the Clinton administration. You you sell them these dreams and you sell them these hopes and promises and you put a name to a face, someone who they can villainize and castigate against. And then the idea is like, oh well, the doctor, Doctor Sanjay Gupta on CNN said, don't take this medicine, take that medicine. Robert Reich said, higher taxes and more government spending will equal a higher value paying dollar. It's not true, right? But it's really easy to push people into that. And I feel bad for the kids who are growing up right now. They did say, though, in a recent study that actually says that more males of the Gen Z era are actually growing up to be more conservative. When you think about the biggest problem facing the common sense side of things, which independents, people who are post-liberal, libertarians, establishment conservatives, and far-right Republicans is now the entire American right. If you're not a progressive liberal, you're effectively the right now what do you think the biggest problem is facing that side of the conversation today what do i think the biggest problem is facing people that consider themselves to be on the right you mean or what do you you, i don't understand what's the biggest thing that's stopping them from being successful in having the pendulum swing their way and getting the most out of it i would say it's organization yeah uh damn that's another that's a complicated question too um, bringing out the hardship, bro. I, I think that there's, they don't have a, they, the right doesn't have good branding, marketing, mm. and culture. Mm. And that is the biggest problem. Culture probably being the most significant of those things. Yeah. And culture being inter, intertwined with, marketing and branding in and of itself you know think about um you know do you know a single could you think of a single musician growing up that identified as a republican right-wing person that you could think of more than five years ago because i can't think of a single one i can only think of two immediately the only ones I could think of now are like John Rich, Kid Rock, Kid and, Rock, and like and, Meat, uh, Meatloaf was a registered Republican before he passed. Okay, so Meatloaf. So I just happen to know. That. <laughs> sure, but 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 every other person Left. that you ever heard of ever, mm-hmm. you know, like Jay Z did a concert. I'm pretty sure with and like Common with Hillary Clinton. So yeah. did John Legend. So they have the culture by mm-hmm. the balls, um, and I think that the right has has no culture. Mm-hmm. Very little culture, if any. And that is because 
they don't know how to market and brand. No. They don't understand that there has to be a purpose. The purpose has to be clearly stated and defined. The, um, the messaging needs to be consistent and uniform for the most part. Mm-hmm. And you have to stick to the bullet points where you win. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a debate. In a debate, if somebody brings up a topic where you're not strong, what you want to do is ask them a question that's going to put you back in control of the flow mm-hmm. where you know that you can win. Mm-hmm. But we mess around where they bring us. Mm-hmm. We fight them in their pile, in their mud pit, yeah. instead of bringing it over to the message that's consistent to us. They stay on the message. They're like, government bad, business is bad, being gay or trans or, or whatever you want is heroic and the government knows best, better than any of these white, rich men in suits that run the world into the ground. Like, that's their message. Even though they're comprised of those same people. Correct. But that's their message. It's always that. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you don't stay here, you're heartless, you're bad, you're mean, you're evil. Mm-hmm. You love the old boys club way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we will save you mm-hmm. if you just let us save you. Just let us tax you until that you're nothing. Yes, we will save you. And then, by the way, here's Jay-Z and John Legend and Common and uh, every celebrity you ever heard of is on our, time, our side. Is that because they're smarter than you? No. And you market. trust them. So they brand them. So they co-opt them. And how do they do that? With money and opportunities. They buy their subservience through money and opportunities. And they say, well, my career will succeed more if I make a song about abortion, Demi Lovato, I'll make an abortion song. I want to bang whoever I want and kill the baby because I'm empowered. I'm I'm no longer uh, Demi Lovato, the female entertainer. Now I am Demi Lovato, the pansexual. Oh, wait, no, now I'm non-binary. Oh, wait, now that's exhausting. So I'm going back to being she, her. Watching Demi Lovato's arc and decline into the dumpster has really opened my eyes to say, like, if I would have stayed on that lane of politics... Especially because, like, when I moved back to St. Louis is when I started to embody the more patriotic side of things. It's hard not to. Obviously, you've been to First Form HQ. You've talked to Andy. It's it's hard to go to a place that is more patriotic than HQ, especially in the heart of the Midwest. And I often wonder, I'm like, well, if I would have stayed in my little dinky college town working in bars and restaurants from 2019 until now, would my hair be blue? Would I be putting my pronouns in my bio? Would I identify with what Demi Lovato is doing? Would I still be under that same thought process? I would hope not. But I also remember that it is the company you keep and it is the kind of people who you have that average of being around Mm -hmm. that has a much bigger influence than you think it does. Certainly. And so when you think about some of those people today that maybe you don't surround yourself with, but you, you have a lot of contact with, who are the people who you look at who are within our space, more so even your space, because you're years ahead of me at this point, who are some of the people you look at and you're like, no, that guy, that gal has the right idea. And that's someone you would be like, Hey, I co-sign what this person says or does, or you should go look. You, you gave me a shout on your story the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, who are some of the people you look at and like maybe Ian went or Ian Smith, for example, who are some of the people who you really like look to as like doing the right thing? Well, them for sure. And obviously Andy and anyone that's kind of in that orbit. And a lot of the people that, that Andy's had on the podcast, I've, I've started to follow and got a lot of value from. Um, 
the thing is, is that I used to, there's been characters that I've really liked that I've been like, I agree with this person on almost everything. Mm-hmm. But then as time goes on, you start to see the things that are like good about them. So you take the value that you can get from them and then you spread your sphere of influence out on others. Like, you know, I, I used to really think that um, the way that Steven Crowder put content out was very high quality. Mm-hmm. But as time progresses, it seems like the way that he is in his personal life is not great. So I'm like, ah, like another one bites the dust. And, you know, and like Ben Shapiro, highly intelligent guy that has really great takes on some things, but other things that he says, I really don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, Anomaly uh, at Dreamer on Instagram, one of the most reasonable voices of all the people that I've seen. He's, guy from California too. Yeah, he's been one of the most consistent of anybody that I've seen and and I'm honored to work with him. We have a site together called streamrare.com mm-hmm. that we've been working on so like his his message has been more consistent I think than almost anybody that I've seen. Um but it's interesting. It's like each of these people like I used to say here's the five people but now I almost feel weird even saying that because it's like there's certain things that I like and certain things that I maybe don't agree with. Mm-hmm. It's like there's things like from Candace Owens that I think are like absolutely on point. But then there's other things that she says that I don't agree with. So it's like I almost I almost hesitate to say these are the people sure. because there's so many good ones that it's like I almost feel weird even narrowing any even beyond what I already did because there's just – because it's it ebbs and flows where there's like mm-hmm. things that they'll say that I think are great and then other things that I don't. And I'm like, yeah, damn. I mean, okay, it's it's just the point of objectivity because a big thing that you and I agree on is that you know we're both common sense guys, and something that we agree on that I I would hope more people would see the objectivity in is that like we don't sit here and lick Trump's boots. Yeah, probably best president in my lifetime. Probably did a lot of things I didn't like. Mm-hmm but I still think was a net positive for me and my, my growth and what I saw the country as. But I, I, I just, the moment of objectivity, there are like three or four podcasts I listen to with, with consistent regularity to help me learn of those people is Ben Shapiro. Ben's not perfect. He, he can almost argue in an almost perfect way. He can almost convince you of anything because he's really good at pointing out hypocrisy. But I also look at Ben and I'm like, you're a little too establishment for me at times. You know, when medical apartheid was going down, sure, you and the Daily Wire and your legal firm, you got together and you went against the government, you went against OSHA to make sure that they couldn't cram that down. That's great. I also remember for about a year, you were encouraging people to get the vaccine. About two years later, you said, you know, now that it's been about two years, I wish I didn't get it because it probably means I didn't need to get it. You know, just because my wife's a doctor, I have four kids, none of us were really at risk. She's triple vaxxed, I'm double vaxxed. And it's like, it's not the, it's not the point about you getting it. It's just like how affirmative you were about telling people this is probably the right thing to do. I haven't forgotten that. I don't hold it against you, but I keep it in mind that no one is perfect. And I think that, go ahead. I was just going to say Ron Paul and Peter Schiff are two other people that come to mind as being extremely on point and worth. I would say, I don't know. I don't know why I blanked on them, but I listen to Peter Schiff's podcast, every single one. Mm-hmm. And I listen to almost everything Ron Paul. Peter Schiff's the guy who's really big into gold, correct? Yes. Yeah, I remember because you when you tagged me in that thing, you tagged him, and I went and followed him. Mm-hmm. That's that's when I started. He's doing. an economist. Yeah. He's a, he's a he's basically like a libertarian economist. He was the Ooh, love he was that. The, he was the um, he was the economist behind like Ron Paul's presidential campaign and mm-hmm. like general philosophy. 
they follow like the Mises, the, the Mises Institute and a few others. And, um, they're awesome. Yeah. So like they, I would say, I don't know why I blanked on them before, but them and Rand, I think Rand Paul gives his best effort too. I yeah. genuinely like Rand Paul. I genuinely, the thing about like, what's his name? I can't think of his name. Jim Jordan. I, I, I typically like when Jim Jordan is on camera and I've like come out in support of him before, but the number one thing you hear from people on his behalf is like, Oh, well, what about all these kids at Ohio state when he was, you know, coaching wrestling. And it's like, I mean, why wouldn't they try to destroy someone who is vehemently opposed to the democratic agenda? I don't know how much legitimacy there is. And I, it's just, you don't ever have a clear picture of who someone is, but being objective for a minute, you know, when you think about the best and the worst parts of Trump's presidency, how would you sum those up? Well, I think the best part was that just the election of him in general was like the biggest middle finger to the establishment, the establishment that there ever was in theory. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the things that he did were a wrecking ball to, I, I guess you could call it status quo of what people expected politicians to do, be, conduct themselves, etc. And I think that those, it was eye-opening and wild for your average person to see that because it, it made you believe that you didn't have to have a famous last name or a, you know, a family hierarchy or be in some secret society to be a person of, of tremendous power. You could be a person that had nothing to do with anything and, and it could work and work well. So I think that was part of the best part about it is it almost was like, hey, the, the people, so to speak, have a... Um, a representation, a champion. Yeah. And I think that that was probably the high point of it. And, you know, making us energy independent, I think is probably the most significant thing of all the things. Um, because that, that the effects of that trickle down into the costs of doing business, the cost of food, the cost of transportation, flights, everything, all that stuff. So then the sentiment becomes America's on the up. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of those economic benefits helped, the average people. And it was hard to, it was hard to deny having more money. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people did at the, in that time frame, and it was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a boom for like most, for most people, not just because of him, but because of the, the branding and marketing of the operation. This is what happened. We're going to be winning. And sometimes you can, you can make something happen by making people believe that it will happen, you know, even before it happens. Yeah. And, and when it comes to, consumer confidence, so to speak, that it, there's nothing more obvious than that. As far as the bad parts are concerned, you know, the last year of it was, was, was not good. It was a dumpster fire. Yeah. So, and you know, you can say he got bamboozled by whomever, but really what it did is it kind of pulled the veil back on people like myself that believed that he could do no wrong and that everything he touched went, would turn to gold. And you're like, wait, you know what happened? Like, it's like, how how did he not see that like he was kind of walking everybody into a honeypot trap at the Capitol? How you know I thought he was going to drain the swamp, but he hires pharmaceutical lobbyists to run health and human services that usher in this like this like biomedical security state uh, you know socialist agenda that that enriches all these pharmaceutical companies. How how is it that he managed to hire the wrong guy for? You know, the wrong guy for HHS, the wrong guy for attorney general, the wrong guy for FBI. How, how did he manage to hire all these people that were wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to see, 
Well, I thought he, I thought he didn't need any money. Why did he take a million dollars from Pfizer? Why did he do that? Oh, he, you know, he knew about, he knew about vaccine skepticism 10 years ago and he had the opportunity to hire Bobby Kennedy Jr. And then he didn't. And then instead he took a meeting with Bill Gates. Why did he do that? Everybody hates Bill Gates. Why, why did he do that? Why, why did all these things happen? Then now people have this like revisionist version of history where he can say like, oh, you know, you know, I, I told you that Kaylee McEnany was great and Ron DeSantis was great and all these people were great. Mike Pence is great. And then all of a sudden they all suck now and they're globalist rhino China shills. It's like, so then you start to take a closer look and you're like, this dude is lying. You know, he's, he's lying and it kills me. Once you start to see it, it's again, it's like the red pill. Wait, he, wait, he did. He hired swampers yeah. to the swamp was in there. Oh, he said he was going to balance the budget. He made it worse. He made it worse. Oh, the inflation is Biden's fault. He printed more money than any president in history. So, you know, and then you have things like the CARES Act, $2.3 trillion for the CARES Act. And nobody fought this except for Thomas Massey was the only person. And then now Trump loyalists and surrogates are like, well, Thomas Massey's a rhino. And it's like, Thomas Massey is one of the only non-rhinos. So then you start to realize that, 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 Rhino is is a is like the term racist of the right, where they just throw it at anybody that they disagree with, so it loses its meaning and its luster. Mm-hmm. And then you say, "Well, wait, how come all these people? Wait, wait, Trump tried to kick Thomas Massey out of the party. Wait, Governor Kemp in in, in Georgia wanted to open Georgia, and Trump said that that was a mistake. And then other countries were not locking down, and people were benefiting as a result of that." And he was criticizing them for not locking down. So now everyone says, oh, he got bamboozled. He didn't know any better. But it's like, but, but he did all these things. And then when you say, well, what about all this stuff? And they say, well, now you're a rhino. You're a globalist. You're a, and then, it's, and then you just start to realize that the whole thing is like a finger-pointing, mudslinging charade that it makes you start to take a closer look at even further back at the other things that he said. And you think, well, he said all these things were going to happen, and then they didn't happen what about that? And then he's like, you said, lock her up. I'm going to put Hillary in prison. She did all these things that were objectively worse than what he's done, mm-hmm. but he's the one that's getting arrested. He's the one with the mugshot. Mm-hmm. You didn't free Julian Assange. You didn't pardon Edward Snowden. You didn't, you put your part on Kodak black. You, you Don't didn't, win. you didn't, you didn't put Hillary in, in prison. Mm-hmm. You did nothing. You know, Jeffrey Epstein, one of the most prolific criminals of modern history was arrested under your watch and you knew he was a scumbag which is why you kicked him out of mar-a-lago 10 years ago but you let him get murdered in prison or die or kill him so it's like oh the cameras went but did you create a probe for that one of these most most disgusting criminals that did you do that when you had the power no of course not you knew that the the voting machines were were hackable 15 10 years to 10 years ago he tweeted about it as, as such oh these are why is there a provision in the CARES Act that allows for all these mail-in ballots? If you knew that the machine... So it's like, he sold us this whole thing, and when it comes to the follow-through, it's just not there. So it goes, oh, well, so now if anyone even dares to say it, mm-hmm. oh, what do you like, DeSantis? He's a rhino. It's like, how is he a rhino? Oh, because Trump says he's a rhino. And then you realize that all these people that you agree with 90% of the time they're just as bought into the slogan and the yelling as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes very frustrating because this, oh, the loneliness you felt in 2015 
where Trump was like, finally, somebody sees what I'm seeing here. Now people that kind of see past it and beyond it are back alone on an island again where they're like, hey, Ron DeSantis might not be that bad. And they're like, fuck you. (laughs) It's like, all right, then. Well, I guess I guess all these things that he did that are good. I guess those don't matter because he smiles weird sometimes. (laughs) So I guess that doesn't matter. So it's like I thought we were out here being independent, but no, no, no. He's a rhino. Mm -hmm. It's like so just you 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 went from being alone to having everybody to like back to being alone. And it's like the, the the easiest position to do is just say Trump MAGA, Trump's the guy, that's it, and not talk about it. Yeah. And that's why I appreciate your objectivity because it's very easy to look at the people who you look up to. Like I remember the day I met you, I was like, dude, I get all my news from you. And that was back when you were like, Big Blue and like <laughs> you would do the the face changing thing a whole lot. That that was really funny. But the thing I've always loved about you and you know a lot of the people you've named too, is that they're typically willing to be very, very objective. They aren't bootlickers. They're someone who says, and even in my own objectivity, because I've had to grow up very, very quickly. And we talked about this, like I grew up between 93 and now we're in 2023. That's a crazy generation to be a part of. And it's that when I look at the Trump presidency, yes, the dudes blew a lot of money. Dude didn't finish the wall. Didn't, didn't lock up the people, did not lock up the swamp, did not lock up Hillary, and his whole thing was like, well, if I do that, the far left might get really, really mad at me, and you can't do that as president. Do, 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 do. And, like, it's like I understand where you're coming from, but people really wanted that because it said to them that someone who got voted in from the outside could uphold the interest of the common citizen, of the common taxpayer. Let's not forget letting Dr. Fauci be in charge. Let's not forget the lockdowns. Let's not forget the amount of money he printed at the beginning of the pandemic. Let's not forget a lot of things that he did poorly. All that said, I came out in public support of him about a week ago because as a guy who has been in the justice system, I do believe that they are scared that he is going to come back and actually do what it is he says he's going to do. Am I going to hold my breath he's going to do it all? No. But I also keep objective that there's a good chance that he may not be the nominee in about, what is it, August? right? No, it's September, in about 14 months. And I I get... Well, we find out before then. Yeah, likely. <laughs> well, you'll know by... Probably May. May, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I look at... Probably even earlier than that. I look at... And Ben Shapiro has been really keen on this point... After 2016, all the elections that he put in his opinions on, he we took a beating, common sense Americans. I mean, look at who the right ran in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman versus... Dr. Oz. No one believes in Dr. Oz. That was Trump's guy. And it was Trump's guy. So was Herschel Walker. So was Herschel Walker. But nobody cares. No. Because they're like, oh, he's a wrecking ball. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what did those, it get you? those didn't work out. It didn't get you anything. There was, an, there was an election, I forget which one it was, I think it was the Ossoff, whatever, um, the Senate before Herschel Walker in Georgia, where Trump and his people encouraged people not to vote. Yeah. And so then we lost. Yeah. So it's like, okay, guys, <laughs> this is the... See, here's the thing. Like I said before, I don't remember if it was on camera or not, the, the, the follow-through, the depth, the knowing the next step, and then realizing that he's imperfect and then seeing them play out in real time, it's the little things that when they add up, you think, maybe this isn't good. One of the things I heard him say recently that to me is just obvious is he was criticizing DeSantis for coming at Disney for what Disney did. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, that's going to be bad for jobs in Florida because what he's doing to Disney. And if he said that in 2016, I would have been like, yeah, 
Trump is the jobs guy. But I know why DeSantis went at Disney. I understand the whole process from beginning to end. And then Trump saying that, to me, it's like he's just saying what he knows will be the contrarian to his competitor, which means he's willing to lie. He's willing to lie to you, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what the left does. And that frustrated me so much. DeSantis passes a law, or DeSantis passes a law in Florida to protect children. Mm -hmm. Disney comes out and says, we reject this law. We're going to put all of our money and resources to become a political activism organization to counter this law. Mm -hmm. DeSantis says, well, we weren't going to say anything to you, but if that's what you're going to do, we're going to make sure that you can't do that. So now we're going to look at you with a little more scrutiny. By the way, you have an unfair advantage that every person up until me has just allowed to go by. because it's just tax district. Yeah, because that's just the way that it was. But if you're going to now weaponize your, your use your money and power against us, we're going to take away your privilege that you shouldn't have had in the first place, but you poked the bear. And now I'm realizing here's, here's what I can do to counter this because you're going against the will of the people because this is the governor. So you're going against the will of the people. So I'm going to go back at you with the things that you have. And then he won that. One, got rid of the district, started putting the people in place, and then Trump comes out and says, well, why do you go to Disney? That's going to be bad for jobs. Dude, what about all this stuff? So no one cares about that now? All of a sudden, oh, now it's just jobs? What about the kids? Oh, but he fights for the kids now, and now he says that? He says that now in his campaign messages, oh, we're going to fight for the kids. That's what DeSantis has been doing. So no one cares about that? Donald Trump Jr. came out and was like, hey, guys, let's not boycott Bud Let's not Bud boycott Anheuser-Busch because they donate to Republicans. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Yeah, The most effective boycott ever? What? Mm-hmm. Why do you? you that's, that's what we don't want to have. But, it, but people are just like, oh, they just go bird box. They're like, no, no, he didn't say that. It's the bubble. They don't care. They don't care what he does. That's wrong. But if DeSantis or, and it's not even about DeSantis, if any other candidate did the things that he does, they would rip him up, down, left, and right. He, they'd be ripping him for months. But doesn't matter what Trump does, and to me, that is a level of that's a level of uh, of uh, call it call it bias, call it intentional blindness, whatever you want to call it. It's the veil. They they're allowing him to lie. They're allowing history to be revi- re- revised, which means that if you don't hold any person accountable, Trump or whoever, if you don't hold them accountable, they don't have to be accountable. If DeSantis, if everything DeSantis does, everybody scrutinizes and he has to deal with the repercussions mm-hmm. and then adjust accordingly to contain, to maintain the support of the people. Mm-hmm. That's a better position. That's a person that's more accountable to us because we're holding him accountable. If Trump says, this is good and everybody, no one says anything about it, then it puts us in a very, very vulnerable position going forward. So replace Trump with whoever you want because eventually Trump won't be there. It'll be somebody else in 2028. If we don't hold the person accountable and we're just like, the guy, mm-hmm. then we are setting ourselves up to be slaughtered, be, storm, be steamrolled, yeah. I don't want that. I mean, I don't think any of us want that. And with you living in Florida these days, you've been front row and center for all of Ron DeSantis' governorship. Huh? As far as you giving a critique of his leadership because that's one of those contentious talks from right now. And I think the DeSantis campaign has hired some bad people. I sure. will say that, yeah. you know, but again, 
Trump hired some of the worst people of my lifetime, and that's worth noting. But for you being front row and center to who I consider the best governor in the United States, I think he does care about the people. I do think he puts his values of his ideology forward. And yeah, he ruffles feathers. Whether it's Disney, whether it is uh, critical race theory in the classrooms, whether it's the fact that he turned Florida bright red, what do you think the biggest strength of DeSantis' governorship has been? His his effectiveness at at governing at doing what he says he's going to do he doesn't there's no show to him it's not fancy it's not branded which is probably his biggest detriment it is it, it is but that's the that's the thing that's so sad about it all is that you have the guy that's the most effective at the job mm-hmm. that's being in a lot of ways uh you know kicked around because he doesn't have the showmanship it's like you kind of people want to be kind of bamboozled a little bit. They yeah. kind of like being gassed up. And even if it doesn't come through for whatever reason, mm-hmm. maybe it's human nature. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that what's been remarkable to me paying attention to a, a, a governor is that he has been super in tune to what the state needs when it needs it. From my view, mm-hmm. you know, he was addressing things that to me, were common sense things that I thought were very valuable and great. Um, Like I remember, and and little things that you would never know if you didn't pay attention regularly. And I watched a lot of his press conferences while he was the governor just to see what he was doing and especially what he was doing as it related to COVID and stuff. And, um, and I just thought that he, he took a lot of scrutiny and stuck to his guns, which I appreciated a lot when it came to things like the George Floyd summer of love type riots. Like you didn't see a lot of that stuff going down in Florida. They, Another mark against Trump too. Yeah. They allowed, they allowed the, the law, the, the legal process to do its thing. He kicked out some Soros appointed judges, judges that were source back judges that, that were, that were not doing their job, which is super effective and great. And, and in my opinion, puts a lot of those other ones on notice, which is great. I think that, you know, he passed a bunch of things about not taxing certain items, like um, I believe any baby-related item, mm-hmm. like like diapers and things, yeah. baby formula is all non-taxed. And um, the way that he's handled the hurricanes and things, like having troops on the ready or um, uh, National Guard on the ready and all these other precautions in place, I just think the guy's very effective at governing. And the thing that is most remarkable about him is he says what he's going to do, and then he actually does the thing and comes through on it. And... That has been really wild to see because he appears to be as in tune to what the people want as Trump was in 2016, mm-hmm. where it's like the people of Florida need this, and then he solves it. And he does it to great yeah. uh, pushback. People were calling him Death Santis during... Corona. Desanctimonious. They were calling him Death Santis, and they were like, this guy's killing all these people. When by, really Florida's just full of old people. By opening all this stuff up. And then people were like... And then people were criticizing him. So... Publix is the largest supermarket chain in Florida. Mm-hmm. It has the most distribution points of any business in Florida. So they said, oh, DeSantis put uh, you know, vaccine distribution points at Publix. That's because Publix donates to the Republican Party of Florida and has done so for however long. So that's like a sweetheart backdoor deal. And I understand how someone could draw that conclusion. But... but Publix has the most distribution points in every local community in Florida. You know what I mean? My local grocery stores in St. Louis, you can get your COVID vaccine shot there for free. Right. So it's like, I understand how people draw that conclusion, but it's, okay, so where should he have done it then? Mm-hmm. CVS? Back alley. 
should he have done it at a less likely distribution? Because they donated, does that now mean you you don't do it? So I just think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things like that where it clouds the waters. And him and the Republican Party in general mm-hmm. is not good at shifting the narrative to the truth quickly and marketing and branding what actually occurred. Mm-hmm. They just let the left set the narrative, and then that, that sticks. And they don't do a good job at countering it quickly enough before people believe that that's what it is. The, the biggest thing about the narrative is is the minute you can draw an assumption most people buy into the idea that correlation automatically equals causation. And it's like, no, you're, you're going with what gets you excited. Trump is exciting. DeSantis is not exciting. His policies are exciting because it's going to produce the outcome that you as a common sense individual want for your community and for your future kids. Yes. But it's like, what kind of investment do you want to make long term? Do you want to invest in the stock that's super hot right now, but 15 years from now is going to be gone? Or are you going to invest in an index fund with the S&P 500? Guaranteed growth, slow and boring. Not a whole lot of volatility. Yeah, you might get rich for 10 seconds, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to crash eventually. I, I hate making that comparison, but likely when you get too excited, you're going to go with the thing that sways you based on the moments. Don't be caught in by the moments. Look in the long term. Look at the future. And I'm still growing. I make a lot of mistakes. I don't pretend to know everything. I, I feel like I know more than most people who are of my age bracket, millennials. But as we kind of taper down here today, let's, let's switch back to the left real quick. We have a geriatric invalid as president right now, clearly not pulling the strings. Will Joe Biden be the Democratic nominee in 2024, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I think he will, because this is the thing, is that, you know, who knows what's going to happen next, but I think that Trump versus Biden is a the fact that that could potentially be the rematch means that I think they could heave his lifeless body over the line and he would win no matter what. He doesn't really have to campaign because he's the president, right? He's busy being the president on vacation. And people hate Trump so much that I think a lot of people will get up off the couch and vote against him just like they did last time. Yeah. They've got the machine. Biden didn't win. Trump lost. They got the play. They got the playbook. They got the whole thing ready to go. They already know all the points. There's nothing new to introduce. It's a rematch, and you know they can frame up Trump however they want. And people's minds are mostly already made up. So you could run a basically dead guy. It's like C. Fetterman. Fetterman. It's like Fetterbeef is not existent, but people didn't like Dr. Oz. And yeah. you know why people didn't like Dr. Oz? Because even the right didn't like Dr. Oz. No. So there was not enough enthusiasm on the right. So that was a that was a strategic error. Even though they caught Fetterman saying, like, we thought you said you didn't support fracking. It's like, I support fracking and I support fracking. Right. They don't even care. So that's the point is that you could run a dead person against Trump and, and probably win because people hate him so much. If the election is about Trump, whoever it is will win. So they're like, we might as well have Biden. He's just easy. He's terrible, but at least everybody knows who he is. We don't have to build up Gavin Newsom or whoever else. So if he, if, he, if he can physically make it, I believe that he will be the nomination if Trump wins the, the Republican nomination. If DeSantis wins the Republican nomination or if it's starting to seem likely that he would, I think that they would run a, I think they would run a Gavin Newsom probably or someone, someone similar in that camp. You know, I know Bernie started kind of like making some kind of uh, movements lately that almost seems like he might run again and he would be a good he would be a good candidate for them because he at least is can speak 
His, he's terrible. He's absolutely horrible, and he's old, but he could at least speak and at least carry himself. So, you know, I, I think that I think that Bernie actually probably would have won in 2016. If they didn't yes. sabotage him. Yes. I do, too. He actually would have beat Hillary because people would have been so bamboozled. People liked him. Right. They would have been so bamboozled by the message, so they, like, shot themselves in the foot and made that critical error. So it's, it's hard to say, but I do think that if Trump wins, that they will keep him now if he doesn't win, if it was DeSantis, for example, I think they would have to pull out somebody like Gavin Newsom to make it different. Um, but I think the last way that they can place the time they can file, I think it's like October. So these things will likely be determined somewhat soon. But the thing that's sad about it all is that I think that, you know, the, the thing that that means the most to me is not that Trump goes on a vengeance tour, even though I'm certainly here for that. And I think that would be great, but it's, who, who has the highest likelihood of winning in the general? And I I just happen to think right now that DeSantis has a higher probability of winning in a general election toe-to-toe with Joe Biden. It's like you got a guy that's 40 years younger than him, 35 years younger than him, that's effective and running the third largest state in America successfully for a, a number of reasons, well-spoken, doesn't have any of the um, that same vitriolic hatred that the Trump brand has not that I don't like Trump or don't want him to have it. I just think that he would win in the general, mm-hmm. I think heavy handedly. Now, if he's not in there, I think Trump is easier to beat by anybody, sadly, because even though we're all for it, Trump's biggest problem is that unfortunately, no matter how much we like him, no matter how good we think he is for business, no matter how much we hope he drains the swamp. The problem is, is that it's easy to turn the election into his opinions on 2020, which whether you love him or whether you hate him, most people are sick of hearing at this point. Correct. Because even if you believe that there is foul play, which a big piece that you and I have talked about is that the conglomeration, the conspiracy of big government, big media and big tech the perfect storm during COVID. You can, you can go down the rabbit hole, but we all know that those big three actors played a huge role in yes. making sure that he was out. Ultimately, he's never going to let it go. He makes his problems our problems, and I don't like that. I don't like how reactive he is. I don't like the childish seventh-grade remarks, even though they are funny and they make me laugh. Like It does get to me at a point where it's like, if they're able to turn this next election into you, not about the indictments on the guy who prints all this money, sends it over to Ukraine, has a crackhead derelict son, and who is absolutely terrible for the future of our country. It's not hard for them to do that, dude. You have to start campaigning on, I'm going to stand in the way of their goals for you. Don't make it about 2020. Don't make it about being Hillary. Start firing people if you get in there. Lock people up that you can. Make the environment better for the average taxpayer and the average business owner. Stop making it about big business and hopefully chip away at our debt and seal up our border. I'd like that. How likely that is to happen, I have my doubts. But we were wrong. I was wrong in 2016. And I said, because he's not one of them. I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where I think is it's not the, it's not the correct message to... Because I've said this before, you know, Every election in modern history has been won by less than 10% of the... This last one was by like 43,000 votes, I think it was. I don't remember exactly. I think, no, I think it was 81 million to 78 million. It was like 3 million votes mm-hmm. or something, but it's less than 10%. So, um, you know, 11%, I think, or 10% of people in America identify as undecided or moderates. 
And many of them make a decision at the very end in the last probably two months before the election. And generally speaking, how those people go is the way that the election goes. And, you know, because the Trump people are going to vote for Trump, the left people are going to vote for Biden, no matter what. The vast majority of people are going to fall into the, that category. That's 90% of people, or 85% of people. The last 15% will ultimately decide the election. So the question is, is do you think that the message that Trump has, plus all the other stuff, is enough to convince the, the majority of that 15% of people to come over to our side? And I think that a lot of, I think that a lot of those people will choose non-chaos over chaos simply just because of chaos. Mm-hmm. And they would rather Joe Biden, because at least it hasn't been that bad in their eyes, you know, whereas with Trump, it's like we don't know what's going to happen. Chaos is unpredictable, but this is a surefire evil. There's a surefire evil plot on this other side. You already know what you're getting over here. And he's, there's no guessing game. Yeah, and he's saying like they're coming after me, and it's about 2020, and they stole this. And you know what I hear DeSantis saying, and everybody who hates that, it's like don't say anything about DeSantis. But he's talking about the people. He's talking about Americans. He's talking about everyday citizens. He's talking about protecting kids. He's talking about the 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 gender confusion agenda he's talking about um you know the the budget there's like a huge budget surplus in the state of florida so the guy is is great at governance he's done all these things great he's just not a good marketer he's just not a good showman he's not a good orator to the same degree so yeah i i get all that but i think that that is the winning message if people can just see past the we want a guy that's on a vengeance tour Mm -hmm. yeah i get that and a lot of people say you know he trump DeSantis doesn't have the it factor. Trump has it, and it's, it's, yeah. But does he have it? Does it matter as much to those people in the middle? I don't know that it does. I think it matters to us, and we think that it does, but I don't know. And I, my personal my personal assumption is that if it was if it was Trump versus Biden in the general election, I think that Trump would lose again. I it doesn't bring me any joy to say that. No, it's it brings me no. It brings me no benefit to say that only i will only take arrows from my own people by saying such a thing as you have been but i believe that that is the case sadly mm-hmm. i think if it was biden versus DeSantis, i think that he actually could win i think that he would win i think it'd be a landslide i think he would win by a, a good amount because people would say the policies of the left are really bad the energy independence is really bad all of these things that are happening stateside where you know the border all these things are bad DeSantis says, I'm going to send the military to the border straight away. We're going to give them authority to shoot to kill if these people are bringing this. That's a forceful position. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me is tre- of tremendous value. Then it's like, here's the budget that was, that was balanced in the state of Florida. Here's all these things, these economic benefits. Florida is the only state in America where actual laws have been put on the books to prevent masking, mask mandates, vaccine, vaccine mandates, passports. The only state in America has laws preventing that from happening is Florida. The only one. No one cares about that, right? Trump can make a video saying he's not going to go for the mandates. Well, the mandates happened while you were there, dude. Yeah, they were there. He's they a repo. No a one likes him. He's a loser. So, Bad sanctimonious. So that's the part. <laughs> these are the things where I think that your average person that comes in at the end that says, these are the people that we picked, let's pick. I think they would say, you know what? This guy's 44 years old. 45 years old. He's got three young kids. Military background. Guy who served, yeah, wore the cloth of his country. Seems to be a good representation of somebody that I would be proud to say is the president versus an octogenarian dude that could barely talk. 
versus you put him up against Trump, who people have all these feelings for, good, bad, or indifferent. I just don't think that those people in the middle say, you know what? Let's give him another chance. Like, let's go. Let's let maybe we'll maybe another January sixth will happen. Even though I don't think that that's what's going to happen, I just think that we have to we have to be willing to acknowledge that that is a real situation. And here's the other thing. And look, I appreciate Trump. I think he's great, guys. I, he has my respect. There's no doubt. But the guy's going to be seventy nine years old. This has to be the last time we we, we elect someone in who is of this age bracket. Yeah, are we? Are in the fourth quarter. Are we just cool with that? It's like, I, I get it. But to me, that's the other thing. That's another huge chip in the DeSantis corner versus Biden is he's got 40 years, 35 years on him. Or even Vivek Ramaswamy. Sure. Yeah. Because Vivek's like, 38, 39. 30, yeah, he's 38. Or something. I think he's 38. So, like, Sure. Now, I don't think that he has enough support nationally. I think some of the polls suggest that he's gaining, but he doesn't have the support nationally that Santos has. Plus, Santos has a proven track record, which none of them else have. Nobody else, nobody else served in the armed forces other than DeSantis. The guy's obviously not a slouch. He's a he's a, a Yale educated legal legal person. The guy's been extremely effective track record wise, mm-hmm. and you know. So I just think you put that up against Biden, it's hard to it's hard to compare them. But if you put Trump against Biden, it's I don't see I don't see that much difference between now and and when they first ran, other than people feel warmed up to Trump because they're coming at him so hard, which I which we all feel that way. We all are empathetic for him. Like they're obviously weaponizing the DOJ against. They're obviously weaponizing the justice system. It's obviously lawfare. No, he really deserves all the stuff that's coming at him. You conspiracy theorist, right? So I think that that's the thing is you know I don't know that people feeling warm to him because he's getting persecuted is enough for them to say, I want that to be the president. Yeah. As much as I may want him to be, I just think that, you know, setting aside, because look, if I, if I like the star player, but I don't think we could win the game with him, what am I going to do? Baker. Give it, let him, let the star player have it and we lose. Is that what I'm going to do? I love AI, but AI went to one finals and he lost. Yeah, so it's like I don't love AI. This is this this to me. Look, and everyone hates on it, and that's fine. I'm happy to stand, not alone, but I'm happy to stand in By my in my convictions. I think that DeSantis would have a higher probability of winning in the general. You want to say he has corporate backers and deep state whatever? Well, he certainly hasn't acted that way as the governor, and Trump has those backers too, and had those backers so. If you're going to call him on it, you got to call Trump on it. But nobody wants to do that. They don't care. Oh, he didn't take a donation for Pfizer. Yes, he did. Uh, like he's he's higher. He's firing the swamp. Uh, why is Alex Azar in there? Why does he have pharmacy lobbyists in there? I don't know. Oh, Bill Barr is stupid now, but no, he isn't. He wasn't then. So I just think that that's the. I think that is the 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 real solution that would actually work. But whether or not people will come around fast enough in order for that to happen and be able to look past the fact that he doesn't have it remains to be seen. I hope that they do see that, and I'm certainly going to do the best that I can to say that we should really give this guy a second look, um, even if it cannibalizes my existing audience, because that's not why I'm doing it. It's not about the audience, it's about doing what I believe is the right thing. So I guess we'll see, but it's not a popular popular opinion to have right now. No. It's not. Last couple of things before we get out of here. In your opinion, what's one change or one alteration that everyone should make, regardless of politics or partisanship, that would put them in a better position to win, that would make our country collectively better? 
talk to more people about this stuff. Just talk to people about it. I've said this many times. Conversations are how people evolve and grow, right? Conversations, the exchange, free exchange of ideas. I think if we more, if we all just talked about it more, the world would be a better place by just simply that alone. Mm-hmm. Because if you and I talk about Trump and DeSantis, let's say, you hear my point of view, you, I hear your point of view, we come to a conclusion in our own mind, we take what we want from it, we dis- disregard what we don't want from it, and then we use that in the next conversation we have. And then our, f- our opinion gets formed by a multitude of opinions to what we decide is the best. If I've only taken it from five different pundits instead of 55 different pundits, I only have these five conclusions to draw upon, plus my own. Mm-hmm. If I take it from 55 places, I'll probably get a nugget from each, and we'll have a better conclusion. So I think talking about it is the solution to so many things, which is why this type of stuff is key. I think that's the most important thing that anybody could do. Because think about it like this. It, when I was a kid, it's like, don't talk about politics. You don't talk about politics. That's bad. That's how you're going to, you're not going to, you don't want to talk about that on a date. You don't want to talk about that with your family. You don't want to talk about that with your friends. So when do you talk about it then? Isn't that when, isn't that how, isn't that how uh, abusers take control of the victims? They can't talk to them. They cut them off from the people that are closest to them, right? That's what they do, right? If you have a, if you have an abusive husband or wife, they will slowly isolate you from the other people that you care, that care about you. They isolate you so that they can control how you think. So if you if 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 a, if the abuser is call it the deep state, whatever you want, isolates you from political discussion, then they dictate to you what is the truth. Mm-hmm. But if we all are collaborating, it's hard to control how we think because we're all homogenizing into some conclusion. So I think that's the answer to that question. I love that answer. Last thing I do uh, anytime I have a guest on my podcast, which you've been the first guest in quite a while, <laughs> but I can be objective about that. Before we get out of here, I always let my guests ask me a question. And it could be anything. It could be politics. It could be current events. It could be philosophies and personal development. It could be anything that you think is pertinent. So do you have any kind of question for me before we get out of here? What do you want people to think about you as a result of giving them your time, giving, giving you their time. What do you want them to think about you Why you're doing it? What it would, how, when they listen to your podcast or watch your content, what do you want? Why do you want them to do that? What do you want them to think about it? Absolutely. It's very ironic to me in a cosmic sense that you said the biggest thing that people need to do is communicate. The title of my podcast is, can we talk about this? And I called it that because my number one talent skill in life, the thing I'm naturally good at uh, is, is conversation. It is the ability to speak with people. And when people, when I share my time with them or when they share their time with me, depending on where the ego sits, when they listen to my podcast, when they look at my content, which my content on Instagram can be a little bit more divisive just because I come with a little bit more of that vitriol. I usually come with a topic that makes me upset. I want people to take away from that even if I disagreed with him, even if I thought all of his positions were wrong, he at least had my best interest in mind to hear me out. I was having a conversation with someone who, they, he brought up the idea that the, the Biden economy is just as good as the Trump economy. We talked about this a little bit earlier. He's a guy from Canada. I'm from here. He's moving here in about three weeks. And we started calling each other clowns. But then we hopped into the DMs. We didn't convince each other of anything. We just heard the other guy out. 
we agreed on a lot more things than we didn't actually. Sure, he's a Canadian. He comes from a socialist healthcare system, and you know, handsome Bernie Sanders is the prime minister of that country, northern, northern uh, Americas, as I call it, or the southern Canadian states. And I, I didn't convince him of anything. We didn't convince me of anything. But we found middle ground, and we were able to hear each other out. And I, I said to him, I'm like, hey, man, look, I know we kind of started off on an ugly footing. I understand we may never speak again, but I want you to feel welcome coming to the United States, that, like, there are people out here that even if they approve of Trump, even if they don't agree with anything that Canada does, you can have a community with those people. And much like how you said, they want us isolated. They don't want us talking. They don't want the dissemination of ideas that bring about unity. They like to kill people who try to breed unity amongst our populace. I want to be someone who they look at and they said, you know what? He gave me hope that I could agree to disagree with someone in the most polarizing of times because I have lost people that I thought were my friends who are very much still caught up in that idealism of what the left tries to sell them. People who say, I wish the United States was communist, but then they gloat and brag about how much money they made serving tables that night. Okay. I could facepalm so hard. That's what I want. And much like your position of, even if I have to rip Trump a little bit just to show that I'm objective, I have conviction in where I stand, and it comes from a very authentic, honest place. I will also admit that I have been wrong. I can look at someone and say, I was wrong about that. I was wrong about this. I was wrong to vote for Obama, too, because I did it from that idealistic place. Mm -hmm. I want people to look at me and be like, he gave me hope that not everyone was just stuck in the mud and that we have an opportunity to have that dialogue, to have that discourse. And maybe, just maybe, even if we don't agree on everything, the law of averages states that enough good people could come together, unify, and say, in our own best interest, we're going to fight back against the swamp, the establishment, that which effectively enslaves us to a system of trading all of our time and money to the government for this piddly little existence that they offer us and tell us to be happy about it. That is what I hope people get out of me. Good. That's what's up. Where can people find you? Where can people, you know, be involved in your brand? Um, take naps on Instagram as home base, but if you go to followbobby.com, followbobby.com, all my links are there to my Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all this stuff is there, but take naps on Instagram as home base. But yeah, followbobby.com is where you find everything. Guys, you heard the man. Follow the man. If you've listened for the last, what is it, hour and a half? (laughs) If you've listened for the last hour and a half and you made it to this point of the show, thank you for being a part of the conversation. It would mean the world to me if you left me a review, uh, you know, left a rating, shared it to your story, told a friend, told your mom, because honestly, they don't want us to talk to each other. They don't want us to have a dialogue. It's not just up to me and Bobby to do this, but it's up to each and every one of you who thinks you have a point to go out there, throw it out into the conversation and see what it throws you back. Because I promise you, just sitting there and being quiet is not going to yield you any kind of result worth chasing after.